Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. Well, good morning, Woodridge. It's great to be back with you today. So good to be here. So good to be in a place that actually recognizes college football. And so uh, when I was with you nine months ago, and since then I have moved to Sacramento, California, and do you know what it's like? As, a, as an Arkansas guy to show up to church on sun, the Sunday morning after you beat Texas and nobody care. It's one of the most empty feelings I've ever experienced in my entire life. But do you also know what it's like to be a Dallas Cowboys fan and to show up on, on a Sunday night service when you just lost to the 49ers in the playoffs? That was not a positive experience in any way. So it is, it is great to be back here, back in, in the home area, in the home region. It's great to be with you. If you have your Bibles, I hope you do. Turn with me to Acts chapter 16. And we're going to look at a story and look specifically at one verse in Acts chapter 16. There's, there's one part of this story that I just don't understand. So Paul and Silas are out preaching the gospel. They're, they're proclaiming the gospel message in every way and, and seeing tremendous fruit that is coming from that. And, and one day they're going to pray. And as they're going to pray, they, they come across this, this slave girl, this, this girl who's being taken advantage of by these powerful men. And as they kind of start to pray and as they start to proclaim the gospel, uh, this girl begins to irritate them in some way. And, and Paul, not for the greatest of motives, Paul now casts a demon out of her that actually frees her from her enslavement brings her into a presence of God and a knowledge of God. And so it's funny to me, he, he does the will of God, but not necessarily with the purest of all motives, and yet in, with an effect and a power of what is going on there in, in that moment. And the men that had held her captive then were greatly irritated because they understood that they had lost their ability now to make money off of her. And anytime, anytime you proclaim the gospel and it comes against somebody's power, somebody's control, or against somebody's money, they're not going to like it. You can preach the gospel, and if it doesn't confront their, their power or their money, they're going to be okay. But if it begins to erode away their power or their money, they're not going to like it. And these men didn't like it. And so they caused this great disturbance in the city. They got Paul and Silas arrested. Paul and Silas were then thrown in jail. And, and that's the part of the story I don't understand. This one little verse, they had been flogged, they had been beaten Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. How did Paul and Silas have that kind of mindset in the moment? I don't know about you, but, but if I'm doing the will of God, I'm doing everything God has called me to do, and I begin to suffer negative consequences because of it, I begin to ask some questions about God and about me. That, all right, God, what's, what's up with this? I'm, I'm doing what I think is right, what I think I'm supposed to do. Is there something wrong with you, or is there something wrong with me? Have I missed it in some way? Now, of course, we know the rest of the story that as they're singing, a great earthquake takes place. And as the earthquake takes place, all the shackles fall off. The other prisoners can begin to flee if they want to. But Paul and Silas choose not to do so. Uh, the jailer who is there, who, who, whose life would have been taken from him had these prisoners escaped, uh, comes in. He's about to commit suicide because he thinks it's going to be an easier way than what would, ha what would take place the punishment otherwise. Paul and Silas cry out and say, hey, we're still here. He runs in, cannot believe that they are still 
still present, doesn't understand what's going on, ask them then, tell me about this God you've been singing to. What must I do to be saved? They lead the prisoner to, to Christ. They then take, uh, they can go to his house and then lead his whole family to Christ, baptize them all. The next morning, the, the leaders show up and begin to say, hey, you can just let Paul and Silas go. And Paul and Silas, with a confidence now saying, no, you have to come in here and tell us ourselves that we can go. And then they leave out. And God does this miraculous work and everything. Every time I read the book of Philippians, I think about this Philippian jailer and his family sitting somewhere on the back row. And they get to Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 12 where Paul says, trust me, brothers, what has happened to me, my suffering, my persecution, my arrest, all the things that are unfair, trust me, what has happened to me has meant to serve to advance the gospel. And from the back, you would hear this amen because the amen in that moment, that is a family that come to Christ because of the faithfulness of God. But how? How did they have that faith in the midst of the persecution and the sorrow? Isn't that what you want? Don't you want the type of faith that no matter what's going on around us, there is a peace inside of us? Don't you want the ability that no matter how somebody treats you, you have the the ability to give grace and mercy back to them? Don't you want to have a faith that no matter where this culture goes or heads, that you have a faith that can stand strong and testify to Christ? Don't you want to be the type of person that can sing psalms and hymns in the prison even when you've been falsely arrested? Well, how can we do that? That's what I desire. How can we do that? I I think we can come to an understanding of of how verse 25 could take place in our own lives today. Now, I'm going to use just just an illustration here to kind of help us. I feel really sorry for the interpreter because I talk kind of fast. My apologies to you. I mean, I'm not going to change, but <laughs> good luck. Carrie Patterson and several other authors co-wrote a book called Crucial Conversations, which if you take anything from that book, it's the idea that if you write a book with other people, you always want to be first, because I don't remember the other authors' names. And so, you know, if we were ever to write a book, it'd be Kevin Thompson and Jeremy Evans. It would go in that order in which it would, <laughs> would take place, as if I could ever write a book with him. He's smart. I'm from Arkansas. And so... Um, <laughs> That just means they would read mine. That's the, only, that's, the only, that's the only difference if I actually wrote it. So, so he wrote this book called Crucial Conversations. And, and the concept, I need one more stool, I'm sorry. And the concept of, of this book, I apologize to the video team that I'm out of the light. And so the concept of this book is uh, Crucial Conversations, how do you have difficult conversations? But there's one page in there in which he talks about what he calls the path to action. So why is it that we do what we do? And in the path to action, these chairs are going to symbolize kind of different parts. And so this chair is going to symbolize action. So this is, these are the things that we actually do. These are the actions that take place. And Patterson will say that every action is caused by a feeling. So you feel and then you act. Now, immediately, there's a lot of men in the room that said, no, I don't believe that. But it's true. You're, you're watching a you're watching a ball game. I mean, hypothetically, you're watching Arkansas versus Duke in the Elite Eight, and, and you're watching, right? And, and, and you see a, a bad call. What do you feel in the moment? You feel frustrated. You feel like Coach K gets all the calls that go for him because it's his last year, and your little run Arkansas on TBS really doesn't want you in the national championship game. You feel this frustration in this moment, and, and so, I, I, this is all hypothetical. And so <laughs> what do you do? You click off the television, you tweet your your best friend, you call the NCAA, right? These are the kind of things, right? You feel and then you act. 
And so if you want to understand, the great thing about this path to action is, if you want to understand why other people are doing what they're doing, this path to action can help. If you see somebody doing something, the question you have to begin to ask is, all right, here's the action, what are they feeling? What's the feeling that's leading to the action? If you can understand the action, you can backwork that to begin to say, all right, what is that, what's their feeling in the moment? What's, what's going on in this moment that's leading to this action? And so, if she's really quiet this afternoon, what is she feeling? Why is she frustrated with me? If, if he's kind of huffing around the house, you see that action. Okay, why is he feeling that frustration now? What's going on? So, every feeling leads to an action. Well, where do our feelings come from? Our feelings come from the things that we see and hear. And so Patterson will say that we sense things. We, we take things in. So, so we see and we hear all this information. <clears throat> and as we're seeing and hearing this information, that then leads to feelings. And then the feelings leads to actions, right? So you understand that. So we see and hear, we feel, and we act. Now, let me give you an illustration of how this works. So... So my wife, Jenny, she owns an advertising company, um, now based in Sacramento, California, uh, with a partner in Tulsa, Oklahoma. But she owns this advertising company, kind of, kind of a workaholic. She does great, great stuff. And, and so uh, I'm a little bit more emotionally needy than she is. I mean, there's probably a better way to say that that's more masculine, but I'm not going to. But um, so I like to check in with her. I like to check in to see how things are going. I mean, I'm a, I'm a married life pastor. Like, like if, 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 if this relationship doesn't work out with us, I lose my preaching, my books, uh, my job, my ministry. Um, she loses one dependent. And, and so <laughs> I'm kind of invested. And so I'll call and check in with her, and half the time she doesn't have her phone on her. It's downstairs, she's upstairs, it's whatever. And so she doesn't answer. And, and I understand that. We've, we've come to, to consequences of that. I just, I track her phone, and now I know she's okay. It's how that, how that works. But when she calls me, she generally has full access to me. So if she calls me, I answer. Now, if she called right now, I wouldn't answer, but if she called twice, I wouldn't. And I'd cut my microphone off, by the way. But I, if she called twice, I would. So, so imagine it's just a random Wednesday, not, not, not a big deal at all, and she calls me, at, which is very rare for her to call me during the day. She calls me at noon, and I don't answer. And she, she, maybe she has something she wants to talk about, she calls back, and I don't answer. She thinks, oh, that's kind of odd, but doesn't think much about it. I, we come home that day, everything's kind of normal. Maybe I have a long Wednesday night at the church doing, doing whatever it is that I do. And, and so I finally get home uh, at night and I walk in and she says, hey, I'm going to do some laundry. You know, you've worn those jeans, you know, for three weeks. Do you want me to wash them? And, and I say, yeah. So I run upstairs, change clothes, come back down. And, and she takes my jeans, you know, throw them in the laundry. And knowing me, she checks the pockets and she pulls out a receipt that says Holiday Inn at noon, today's date. Okay, so she has seen and heard. I didn't answer a phone call when I normally do. Here's a receipt, today's date, holiday in at noon. Okay, what does she feel in the moment? She feels frustrated and betrayed and angry and hurt. What does she do in the moment? She yells, she screams. She's, she's from Oklahoma. There's, there's not a warning shot. There is just a shot, <laughs> right? But what if, what if I were to tell you that's not what she does? That what Jenny would probably most likely do in that scenario is to say, hey, Kevin, I, I bet you've had a long day. How about if I make you a sandwich? 
Or how about, you know, hey, you, you probably had a, a tough day. Why don't, why don't I kind of clean the kitchen and you just take it easy? What if instead of feeling betrayed and hurt and anger and sorrow, what if I told you that she would in all likelihood feel uh, kind of the sense of pride, of, of admiration, of gratitude? Well, well how, could that, how could that be? We've seen and heard the exact same thing. And yet what I'm saying is that she's going to feel something radically different than what you think, and she's going to act in a way radically different than, than the way you probably think she's going to act. Why is that the case? It's the case because the path to action, according to Carrie Patterson, is not three steps. It's not that you see and hear, you feel, and then you act. There is another chair. And in, in the second chair... My apologies to the sound guys that I'm walking out of space. My, the second chair is this concept that you see and hear, but you and I never see and hear everything. We never have all the information. We never have all the things that we need. And so the human brain has this tremendous capability of taking limited information of what we have seen and heard and to tell ourselves a story, to interpret what's going on. And our feelings do not, notice this, our feelings do not come from the facts. Our feelings come from our interpretation of the facts. Now, now without this concept of a second share, without this understanding that you and I are interpreting what's going on around us, we can then rightly assume that, man, I've seen and heard, and because my feelings are now based on what I've seen and heard, my feelings are based on the facts. It means whatever I'm feeling must be right. And if you think your feelings are always right, then whatever actions flow from those feelings cannot be debated because I know what I feel, therefore how I act is right. And yet your feelings don't come from the facts. They come from your interpretation, the story you're telling yourself. And the reality is that we are all living our lives in the second chair, and we really never recognize it. I mean, this, this whole concept, this whole concept is, is, is what Wordle is built off of. I haven't done my word today. Don't tell me. Do not tell me. Yesterday's trope was a very interesting word, but I got it in five. And so it took a while. Jenny got it in four, and she quickly bragged about it. Okay. That's why she didn't get to come on the trip. And so, <laughs> think about Wordle, if you play Wordle. If you don't play Wordle, Wheel of Fortune, same concept, different generation. Okay, so Wordle, you, you, it's only five letters, so you know, you know this word, there's boundaries of what's going on there. You begin to type in a word, it shows you some green, some yellows of letters that are there, some letters that aren't, and, and you understand, and as you get down on more and more limited information, you can take that limited information and then write the proper story to say, oh, now I know what that word is, or oh, now I know what four words of that could be, and I only have two guesses left, which one will the New York Times believe is right? So how, what's the most illogical response I can come up with? That's a joke, but, and that's going to, it's kind of true. That's the word that I'm going to then guess. 
You know that your brain has a tremendous ability to take limited information and to take that limited information and to then write a proper story so that you feel the right thing, so that then you act in the right way. You have an amazing ability. A mother has an ability, an amazing ability to take the limited information of a baby's cry and to understand immediately, is that a hunger cry, a frustrated cry? Is that a dirty diaper cry? What is it that I need to do in response to this moment? It's amazing the ability our minds have. As a matter of fact, your career, your job, you are paid on a regular basis because you have a specific personality trait, understanding, knowledge, skill set, and experience to take limited information. That means nothing to anybody else, but to you and your expertise, you can take that limited information and you can get the patient the proper treatment. You can understand how the client needs to spend their money. You can know the, the ad you need to buy on television. You can know the scripture that needs to be preached in the exact moment. You can take limited information, write the right story, feel the right thing, and act in the right way. It is amazing what our brains can do, except when they don't. And sometimes they won't. Because you and I also have the amazing ability to take tremendously limited information, to write the wrong story. I notice this. And when we write the wrong story, we feel the wrong feeling, and we act in the wrong way. And I guarantee you right now, there is somebody in your life that you have seen and heard some information and yet you have come to the wrong conclusion. And because you've written the wrong story, you're feeling the wrong feeling and you're acting in the wrong way. There is somebody on Facebook you do not like. You just don't like them. And you've seen and heard something that you just didn't like and now you've written a story about them, and now everything they post is viewed through that lens. And they literally could say, today I gave my life to Jesus, and you would be like, well, I bet you they're just in it for eternity and not really living today. <laughs> we have this amazing ability to tell ourselves the wrong story. Think about it this way. Imagine if you oversee a group of people. So you own a, you own a company, maybe you manage a business. It's a small business, and it's customer-oriented that, that deals with phones a lot. And so your hours are 8 to 5, Monday through Friday. Uh, I mean, you know, I guess some people work those hours. Good luck. But uh, they're 8 to 5, Monday through Friday. And so everybody has to be there at 8 o'clock. Phones start ringing. Customers start coming in. And you hire a person that's tremendously talented, you really like, and everybody kind of likes. And yet they start showing up a little bit late. It's 8.15, it's 8.20, and you kind of let it go the first few times. It's not that big of a deal. And finally, it's kind of beginning to erode some morale of, of what is taking place. And so you need to do something about it. You don't know what to do about it. So you sit down, you have a conversation, and you explain. Hey, I see that you show up at 8.15. I understand it. You think it's not that big of a deal, but it really is. The phone starts ringing at 8 o'clock. When you show up at 8.15, other people are having to cover your work and, and cover for you and do stuff, and it's now hurting morale, and people think the rules don't apply to you. I really need you to show up on time. And they're like, oh, absolutely. I'm so sorry. I'll do it. You have that conversation on Friday. Monday morning, they show up 7.59, and you're like, look at what kind of boss I am. And then Tuesday, it's 8.01. Wednesday, it's 8.15. Thursday, it's 8.20. And the next Friday is 8.30. What do you feel in the moment? You feel frustrated and betrayed, right? So you have seen and heard 
that you had a conversation, they were showing up late, you had a conversation, they showed up on time, which means they can show up on time, but now they're not. What's the story you're writing in this moment? Well, they just don't care. Uh, they, maybe they don't want this job. Maybe they actually want to quit and they're, they're embarrassed. They don't know how to quit. And so they're just trying to get fired now because that's what it looks like they're happening. It's happening that they're trying to get fired uh, or, you know, millennials. I mean, whatever story you're writing in, in that moment. And, and so... Um, what do you feel? You feel frustrated and betrayed and taken advantage of. And so what are you going to do? Well, if you're in a large company, you're going to write them up because it's a whole process. If you own your own company, you're going to fire them because you can do whatever you want to. And so if you're pastoring a church, you know, they're going to seek other opportunities somewhere else. The Lord is leading. And so they're going to walk out on faith. And so... Uh, I really hope y'all haven't had a staff member do that recently. I, I don't know anything. I'm from California. Okay, so, so that's what you're going to do. But before you do that, here's my encouragement to you. You sit down and have another conversation with them. But notice this. Notice this, just a little leadership principle. You don't have the same conversation you already had. You already had that. Bad leadership just keeps on, bad marriages just keep on having the same conversation over and over again and nothing productive comes of it. You've had the you need to be on time conversation. The second conversation is not that you, you had to be on time conversation. The second conversation is you said you were going to do it and you didn't why you lied to me. That's the second conversation. And this one is much more serious. And the way you have that conversation is you walk your path to action. So you just don't walk in and say, hey, I'm going to fire you. I'm going to let you go. That's unfair. You walk the path to action. You show them how you have come to your conclusion. And so here's what I've seen and heard. You were on time, then you weren't on time. We talked about it. You said you would be on time, then you were on time, and not on time, and not on time, and not on time. Good luck. And then here's the story I'm telling myself. The story I'm telling myself in this moment is you really don't care about me. You don't respect me as your boss. You may not even want this job. You might actually want to quit and don't know how, but you don't want to be here. And what I feel in this moment is frustrated and betrayed and taken advantage of and like I'm wasting my time. And what I'm about to do is either write you up and give you one more chance or lay you off. Now notice this. Now help me understand. Is, is there anything here I've gotten wrong? Notice, notice the humility of that. Notice the humility before I'm about to fire you in that. Help me understand. What I'm saying here is I could have gotten this wrong. Maybe I've made a mistake here. But here, I'm laying all my cards out on the table. Here is what I believe. Here's what I know. Here's what I've seen and heard. Here's the story I'm telling myself. Here's what I'm feeling. Here's the action I'm about to take. But now speak into that. Because what I'm, what I'm recognizing here, notice the phrase I use while I go, here's the story I'm telling myself. That, that needs to become common language in this church, in your workplace, at your home. Here's the story I'm telling myself. Because in that moment, we're being transparent about what we believe and about what we understand. But by saying, here's the story I'm telling myself, and not saying, here's how it is, what we're recognizing in that moment is, hey, I could be wrong. This is my interpretation of the limited facts that I have, and you could speak facts into my life that would change the story, that would change the feeling, that would change the action. It's a, it's a statement of humility, recognizing that I could be wrong. Here's the story I'm telling myself. And so you ask the person, speak into this. Now think about this. Is there anything in that moment that they could say that would change your story, that would change your feeling, that would actually change your action to, you, you went into the meeting thinking you were going to fire them, 
But instead, you walk out of the meeting going, hey, I'm going to raise your pay, lower your expectations, and you don't have to be until 9 o'clock. Is there anything they could say that would change that? Absolutely. They could say, you know what, I have a child with special needs. And we haven't got our van yet that we need to locate everything. I have a mom that's been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And daddy really just can't take care of her much anymore. My spouse has a diagnosis. I have a child who's struggling at school. And, you know, some mornings we just, we just can't, can't get her there. And, and that would radically change the story. This story could go from, man, you don't, you don't want to be here. I've actually had this situation before in which I've said, help me understand, because it feels like you don't even want to be here. And they've said, you know what, I, I really don't, but I don't want to let you down. And I said, oh, my God, thank you for your kindness. And you know what, I think I can help both of us out by firing you <laughs> and relieving you of that burden of possibly disappointing me. But then there are times in which you hear a story and you're like, oh my goodness, I got it all wrong. And by having this humility of understanding now this path to action, it can dramatically change everything. I, I wonder, what are some wrong stories you have in your life right now? Who's sitting across the room that you've written their, the story that they're just no good, that you can't trust them? When, when the reality is you don't know everything and haven't seen everything. Imagine you're sitting in that office with that employee and, and they finally break and they say, yeah, you know what, my, my mom got diagnosed a couple weeks ago and I'm going by there every morning to take care of her, and some mornings I can get through there in, in a quick moment, and other mornings I can't. Well, in that moment, you would say, well, why didn't you tell me that? Like, like why didn't you tell me that whenever we had this conversation two weeks ago? I would have never have been this mad at you. And, and then she says, well, remember, remember when Jan's mom a couple years ago had cancer and you fired her because of it? And you're like, What? What do you mean I fired her because of it? Yeah, I remember Jan, she came on board here. She was here like six months and her mom got cancer and, and then you fired her because of it? And you're like, no. She was stealing from the company. She was stealing. But I couldn't tell you that. It was an HR issue. There were lawyers involved. I couldn't tell you that. Well, she said she got fired because her mom had cancer. No, she's a liar. <laughs> but notice that. Notice, notice the people that work for you because they can't have all the information. They can literally very easily just have limited facts because they can't know everything you do know. They can write the wrong story. And as they write the wrong story, they will feel the wrong action. And as, as they feel the wrong feeling, they will act in the wrong way. It's an aspect of leadership. Do you recognize that your pastor cannot tell you everything he knows? And based on your limited information, the story you're writing is they're screwing this whole thing up, whatever it is. I, I guarantee you there's, I don't, we haven't even talked, there's something to church. But man, they're getting this one wrong. 
never knowing that if you could, if, if Jeremy could just pull back the curtain a little bit, you'd probably be more amazed at how good things are. And yet, because we work off of limited information, we write the wrong stories. And because we write the wrong stories, we feel the wrong feelings. Because we feel the wrong feelings, we act in the wrong way. And what would happen if we would just begin to recognize that we are sitting in the second chair most of our lives, taking in limited information, and then with humility, recognizing that our feelings do not come from the facts, instead they come from our, the, our story we're telling ourselves, which means our feelings can change, which means our actions can change. If we can just get new information, that will change our interpretation. It, do, it doesn't mean that, I, I was doing this, this uh, one time and a guy came up to me afterwards and goes, hey man, that was a great sermon. Just from now on, I'm not gonna tell myself any story. Okay, can you go back and listen to the tape? Because it's impossible. This chair is necessary. God has given you a brain and a capability to do it. It's necessary. You can't get away from it. You just need to have humility while doing it. You need to recognize, I'm human. I could get this wrong. My information is limited. We can never see and hear everything. My information is limited. And in humility, I'm going to move forward in this process, always being open, always saying, here's the story I'm telling myself, always saying, here, help me understand. Always, whenever I'm laying out what I'm doing for other people to explain it, I'm going to walk the path to action to assist them. When I'm trying to understand what other people are doing, I'm going to walk the path backwards to say, what action are they doing that I can see? What could possibly cause that feeling that would lead to that action? What stories could they be telling themselves that would lead to those feelings? And then what is it that I've seen and heard that could lead to those stories? And so, and so imagine Jenny with a receipt. I about forgot about it. Y'all would have walked out there going, man, that pastor's wife is gullible, man. What about Jenny with a receipt? Well, well she, she has seen and heard I didn't answer her phone call. And, and, and there's a receipt. But that's not all she's seen and heard. She's also seen in her 22 years of faithfulness. Never a question, never a doubt. And so the story that she is telling herself is not just based on what she has seen and heard in this moment, but, but through two decades of marriage. And so she tells herself, all right, what's the most likely scenario of the story of this receipt? It's not that Kevin was off doing something at a hotel at noon that he shouldn't have. It's more, far more likely in his job that there was an abusive situation and this woman needed out. And Kevin took a family to a hotel. There was a fire. Kevin took a family to the hotel. And knowing me, she would say, he probably meant to put it on the church credit card because he's pretty cheap, but he pulled out the wrong credit card and put it on ours. And so the feeling that she has there is much more one of admiration rather than fear. And so the action is gonna be one of service rather than death. <laughs> now, notice this, Jenny is no fool. She doesn't just go on about her day. Instead, she brings the receipt into me and in a calm voice, she says, hey, I found this receipt Help me understand, what is it? No accusation, assuming the best, but now gonna verify it. And in so doing, I can explain exactly where that receipt came from and we can go from there. How is it that Paul and Silas are in prison, wrongfully accused, wrongfully beaten, wrongfully abused, singing praises to God? What they have seen and heard is, God, we followed you, and, and now 
Now we've gotten beaten, now we're shackled. And the story I would tell myself is maybe this God thing isn't real, maybe Christianity is wrong, maybe I'm doing it wrong, maybe it's real for everybody else, but it's not wrong for me. And the feeling I would often have in that moment is one of betrayal from God, doubt of my own self. And the action I would take in that moment would be one of pouting. Instead of shouting praises to God, I'd be pouting in my own mind. How did Paul and Silas worship how were they worshiping in that moment? Well, what, what feeling did they have? Well, the feeling they had to have in that moment was one of adoration of God, of amazement, of gratitude. That's where worship flows from. It flows from this gratitude that God would include us in this moment. Well, what story could they be telling themselves that would lead to gratitude that would then lead to worship? What story are they telling themselves in that moment? God's up to something. Nothing happens by accident. That, that God is sovereignly in control of all things. And if I am in this place, then at minimum, he has allowed it. At possibility, he has caused it. And so I can now stand in faith in this moment because God has a much larger plan about my life than I have for my own life. And because of that, I can trust God. Well, what had they seen and heard that would lead to that story? Paul and Silas had seen and heard far more than just the arrest that day and far more than just the beating that day. Paul now had an experience of a Damascus road of what God had got to open his eyes. He had an experience of being beaten before and seeing the transformation of the gospel come through communities. He had an experience of the suffering that he had, he had experienced and yet seen on the other side had God used that in an amazing moment. He had had a walk with God so that whenever an individual event happened in that moment, that wasn't the only thing he had seen and heard. There was this long history of who God had been, of who he was. He had the whole history of the Old Testament, uh, the, the nation of Israel, and what was going on with Israel. All of what was going on in his life was interpreted through these events. And the story he was telling himself was not based on the circumstances of this day, was, but was based on the circumstances of God's global work, his kingdom work through all generations, which leads to the feeling of worship, which leads to the feeling of gratitude and the action of worship. I wonder, dear friend, today, the story you're telling yourself about your life, is it just based on what you've seen and heard today? Or do you interpret your life to a long activity of what God has done globally, generationally? Do you recognize that God has a far bigger story for you than, than just having you live a satisfying life right here? That God has a far greater purpose for you and far greater purpose for this church than, than just having a nice Sunday morning collection and, and having everything kind of be the way we want it to be. That, that literally God is at work around the world calling people to himself. And God, God does not hesitate to allow suffering in your life. He does not hesitate to allow your life to take a turn that you would never expect it to take because he knows that he can do something with that. He can do a miracle in that that you can't even begin to imagine. But in that moment, if you just see and hear what's going on in your life in that moment, you will tell yourself the wrong story. You will feel the wrong thing. You will act in the wrong way. But if you ever have your eyes open by God's grace, your life dramatically transformed because of who he is, you can tell yourself a story that God is good, that he loves us, that he cares for us. I told the couples this week at the marriage retreat that we actually have a team that went to Poland this week. One of our pastors went to Poland, snuck across the border into Ukraine made a delivery of medicines to one of our families that are in a one-room apartment with six children. The dad had to stay behind. He couldn't leave the country. They tried to go see him, but back in Poland is where these refugees have, have been to. And as he was giving a report to the staff this week, 
he, he just laid out the, the dire circumstances of what's going on there. And, and he, just, he just told us there's no way you can imagine it. But, but then he said, make no mistake about it. God's up to something. He has experience in that region. He said, you know, Poland is one of the most ungodly countries in Europe, one of the darkest countries in Europe whenever it comes to the church and the gospel and the kingdom of God. He said, but Ukraine is one of the brightest lights. It's primarily a Christian country. And he said, isn't it interesting that, that God has allowed, not caused, but God has allowed three million Christians to move from the brightest light in Europe into the darkest place in Europe. And what Brian was telling us in that moment is, hey, you haven't seen and heard everything. Look up. There's a bigger picture. And before you interpret this story, just based on what you see in the moment, interpret it based on what God might be doing, which can create within you a feeling of trust. Even if you don't like where it's at. Paul and Silas did not like being in jail. But they liked being in the center of God's will. And that created trust, which then led to worship. And the amazing thing is this. I don't really know what the response would have been. We don't know what the response would have been of the Philippian jailer after the earthquake had Paul and Silas not been worshiping. Had they not been worshiping, then when God acted, the jailer may not have been able to put two and two together. He, he, he might have said in that moment, well, this is just a, a kind of a freak accident that this earthquake has happened. But the fact that Paul and Silas were worshiping, showing faith in the midst of the hardship, Philippians 1.12, I assure you what's happened to me has been used to advance the gospel because they were worshiping in the midst of the hardship. When, the earth, when God acted, the jailer looked at the actions of Paul and Silas and the actions of God and said, that's no accident. And so when you and I trust God in the midst of the sorrows, as God is about his business in the hearts and the lives of other people, he will use us to show others himself. But I wonder today, what story are you telling yourself? What story are you telling yourself about your marriage? You think there's no chance? You think marriage just wasn't meant for us? We just, we're just a bad match? Mark Barnhill would like to show you and tell you some things to change your story. That'll change your feeling. That'll change your actions. Are you telling yourself the story today that, ah, this God such just isn't real? Your pastor would like to show you some things and tell you some things. So you'll tell a different story, feel a different feeling, and act in a different way. Do you notice why, why this is so important that we worship? That we gather with a church body, that we interact with God's word? It's because it's important that we see and hear on a regular basis the things of God, the history of God, and all that he has done for us. So that whenever we go to interpret what's going on in our lives, we don't just interpret based on the immediate situation or circumstance, but we interpret based on everything that God has done and is doing. And for some in this room, you have seen and heard something that will forever change how you act because it will forever change how you feel because it will forever change how you interpret life. 
because you saw Jesus. And there's just something about him. And the story about his death and his resurrection transforms you. And because you now have seen and heard the gospel truth and how that kind of makes sense about this way of life, everything that you see and hear is now interpreted through the idea that God is sovereign, he is in control, he loves me, he's for me, he is advancing his kingdom, allowing me to be a part of it, so that no matter what happens in my life, in faith, I can feel trust and gratitude. And now I can worship him in every aspect of my life, all because of what he's done for me. But let me ask you this, dear friend. If Jesus isn't true, what have you seen and heard? This world is chaotic. It's out of your control. There's really nothing you can do about it. Life is just happenstance. It's just a roll of the dice. You hope you get lucky, but you may not. At any moment, it could change in a bad way. And, and so what story could you tell yourself? What feelings can you have? What actions can you take? I have some good news for you today. There was a man named Jesus sent from heaven to save us from our sins. He is God himself. And when your eyes are opened by his grace, it literally changes everything. How did they do that? How did they sing praise in the midst of the sorrow? The same way you can. Their eyes have been opened by God's grace and everything was interpreted through that story. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.